Hoo, hoo, hoo. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 322. Um, and we got a great one for you. Will Balance, co-founder, CEO of Lavender. Uh, if you don't know what Lavender is, it, it is a tool that helps salespeople write better emails more quickly. Um, I've been friends with him and his other co-founder, uh, Will, Will Allred, um, who's been on the pod a few times. We've been, uh, we've been chatting back and forth for the last year or two um, as they've been building this out in the sales space and making a huge splash, really helping salespeople. And this story is less about emails. And we actually don't even talk about that at all. It's all about Will's entrepreneurial journey. And as someone that um, you know, has some entrepreneurial blood in him himself, that's me, um, and a lot of salespeople do too. A lot of a lot of uh, other guests, a lot of people that listen to the show, have uh, a sense of you know wanting to run a business or wanting to do something on their own someday or today. And um, Will tells you the the real story in this one, right? He he gets into the great parts of it, you know, and how fun it is to build a business and the highs. And you know, he's in Mexico or was at the time like living there for two years, building this remote company and living the dream, and and also the lows, like you know being literally days away from missing payroll for the company, uh, going months on end without taking a salary, um, just going from failure to failure to failure or near failure, near death uh, of the business and continuing to um, you know, find a way to make it happen. So I found this conversation to be incredibly inspiring uh, and I'm still buzzing off of it. So I hope you enjoy it. A real quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll get into the show. All right, this episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast is brought to you by the Up and Up community. This is a community that I put together with my friend, Anthony Natoli, who's over at Lattice. It's focused on two things. It's helping salespeople crush their goals, hit quota, do all those great things, as well as it's really focused on mental health, uh, trying to avoid burnout, trying to stay on the path, trying to be more fulfilled through this uh, profession. So it's a Patreon group. Uh, we've got a live community. We've got a live chat in Discord that's 24-7. And we have weekly calls where we're bringing in folks like Justin Welsh, uh, Kevin Dorsey, Devin Reed, et cetera, to come in. We do hour-long sessions every single week, live Q&A. You can ask them whatever you want. Um, and it's amazing. It's only 10 bucks a month. Um, would love for you to check it out and, and give it a go uh, and see if it's something that might be helpful for you. You can check it out either on my LinkedIn page or patreon.com slash the up and up. Hope to see you there. All right, next up on the Millennial Sales Podcast, Will Balance, CEO, co-founder of Lavender. What's up, my man? How's it going? Excited to be here. I've been watching this for a long time. Yeah, man. Uh, stoked to have you on. Uh, you're calling in from uh, remote founder life down in Mexico, yeah? Oh, uh, yeah, down in Monterey, Mexico, in the north of the mountains. So, so talk to me about that. Sounds like you've been down there for like a year and a half. That's right. I came down for an eight day trip. One of my friends, she invited like eight or nine founders down for a week to her parents' condo in South Baja. And like long story short, I ended up staying an extra week, which turned into an extra month, which turned into a year in South Baja. And then a couple of months in Guadalajara and now seven months in Monterey, Mexico in the mountains. Wow. And so have you been with friends uh, during a lot or part of that? Or have you been just kind of solo traveling around? Yeah, in the beginning, um, I was with friends and then they left and went back to the US. I, I stayed down in Mexico and just have been remote working. And the opportunity to stay kept presenting itself. I ended up subleasing my apartment in New York and like, well, just kept taking the opportunity to stay because I figured when else would I be able to do this? Yeah. Yeah. What's the, uh, so what's the daily uh, schedule look like? Because obviously you're, you're busy as hell as a founder. But I'm yeah. sure you're, there's probably some level of like hoping to take advantage of the weather or, uh, you know, pools or beaches or something like that. When we first were building a lot of the features for Lavender, which I'm sure we'll get into, some of the most used features came to me while I was literally in a pool in South Baja um, overlooking the water. But um, now I'm in the mountains. The weather like it was cold during the winter, uh, kind of more typical, typical weather. The schedule now is pretty consistent. I, I get up, um, I go to WeWork. And I work from WeWork, do all my meetings, do demos, just kind of like a regular routine. When I first got here, though, this is back in like October, in the fall, winter of 2020, it did feel like more of a vacation because I was at the beach. 
it was all new. And then over time, like anything else, you kind of acclimate and get into a routine. It becomes more just where you live and more like regular job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw, um, Max Altschuler's uh, post on LinkedIn a couple of days ago. That was like some of the best ideas he's had for his whole yeah. career came out of pool. Uh, and I've seen a bunch of pictures of him as weird as that sounds to say, uh, at pools, <laughs> like working with a laptop, like, you know, uh, LinkedIn influencer life, but there's something to that about like creative work, strategic work, like vision stuff, which I'm sure is a, a big piece of what you do nowadays. Sure. Um, that you have to get away from the laptop to, to have those ideas or at least get outside or, or get outside of like a we work. Um, I don't think that's where people's best ideas happen. Anytime you're doing something new, like even just taking a different route home, the brain starts to rewire and build different pathways. So getting into a new culture, new language, new food, new way of life, I think mm. was really foundational to a lot of the things with Lavender. I think about this a lot. If I had stayed in New York, we were going into winter 2020, still COVID. I, I wonder how the product would have progressed the majority of our product features that we have now were built with me in Mexico. And a lot of the marketing ideas and branding and design happened with me in Mexico. And I, I don't know if it would have been the same if I had been in my like shoebox studio apartment in New York where the city shut down and it's cold and it's snowing and it's COVID, where I was in Mexico, COVID wasn't really a thing. You wore a mask, but that was it and the weather was nice the food was good um it was more like more free i guess in that time and more more opportunity i think just to think to be creative so i think it was really an asset for us i spent more time building lavender in mexico than i did in the us actually yeah yeah i feel like for for a lot of the creativity and and things that you need to you know build out the product that was probably the right place i mean being in a really cold place during covid <laughs> in the winter i mean Maybe that's good for like the type of work that's like chop wood, carry water, where you're just like plugging yeah. through and like you just need to grind and, and maybe there's, you know, there's less distractions. But if you're trying to get creative work done, um, couldn't think of too many better places than, you know, in, in a sweet pool or beach uh, down in Mexico. <laughs> in the very beginning, uh, I think what you said about the chopping wood and just the grinding, that was absolutely true. We were building a different product before we were building Lavender. And Lavender is a, a sales email assistant that helps SDRs and AEs write better emails and faster in their, in their sales workflow. But before that, we were building this communication psychology, personality science marketing platform. And when COVID happened, we were forced into a pivot. And I'm really shortcutting the story here. But in that pivot moment, it was like March to June-ish of 2020, where you're in peak lockdown, peak COVID. It was the perfect time for us to organize a pivot because we had nothing else to do but just to work all day long. Our engineer, our, my co-founder and CTO, just like super long days, just coding a brand new platform. We brought that early version to market. This is even before it was for salespeople. But I, I think like if COVID had not happened, a, we wouldn't we not have pivoted. Lavender wouldn't exist, but we wouldn't have had the just the ability, I think, just nothing else to do but grind on our product. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's there's times where, um, you know, that's that's what you need to do. And then and then probably times where if you as the CEO are, are only grinding and only like focused in the business, then you might miss opportunities for, um, you know, looking elsewhere or whatever it might Absolutely. be. Um, yeah. So we'll get back to the CEO life. I, I, I'm very fascinated <laughs> because, um, you know, like we were talking about before the show, I think it's interesting that you went from a, a sales background to founding a company. Um, you don't see too much of that, especially for folks like in their 20s, like earlier in their career that make that switch. But I see a lot of it, you know, a lot of salespeople that I talk to, I myself as a salesperson and entrepreneurial and, and have had the itch to, you know, maybe I want to start something someday. So I'd love to take it there for like early in your career coming out of uh, school, uh, getting into sales. Like, let's talk about like why that was in, in the first sales job story. Yeah, the, the whole story is like, kind of intertwining, although seemingly random, but also in some ways like serendipitous light just turned on behind me. Sorry about that. <laughs> but like when I was a kid, my my elementary school between fifth and sixth grade invited me to this summer program where they taught us HTML. And that was my first like experience with like computers and coding and things like that. And like this through my school got interested in like development. And I was never going to be an engineer, but early on when I was a kid, I was like building little software tools to, for like a game I played and like on my homework. 
And I started designing product, I guess, at a pretty early age. But again, no plans to be an engineer or anything like that. Um, I was planning to be a lawyer. And I went to school you know, for, for political science and took a lot of classes in economics, but planned to be a lawyer. And then just one day I'm walking back from class, had this epiphany that the business people are the ones hiring the lawyers. So maybe I should be on that side of the table. Mm-hmm. And my school was very big on like entrepreneurship and free market economics and things like that. And there's an entrepreneurship program there, I think was really instrumental in me thinking about entrepreneurship. And growing up, I had done some entrepreneurial things like in seventh grade, uh, there's a girl in my homeroom that was selling mixed CDs off of Napster. And I asked for a CD burner for Christmas and like started burning CDs and put her, undercut her price and like put her out of business. Um, and like, so I was doing stuff like that pretty early. And then in college, I started I had a little party business. I was throwing parties at Virginia Tech and I had a few DJs that worked with me. Some of them went on to be pretty big. One was the touring DJ for Logic. And um, some of them have like played like Coachella, big, big festivals. But back then we were just like all college kids. And I was throwing this, had this party business, which got me really into, into the idea of like, I could do something entrepreneurial. And at the end of my, my college, I had this fork. I could go to DC and work at a think tank and pursue the political science aspect of what I've been interested in. Or I could go intern for someone in, in Georgia and it was this um, a fellow classmate's dad, and he had been the senior VP of sales for Pure Digital, which had built the flip video camera, like the GoPro before the GoPro. And I just went down and like shadowed him for a few months. And he had built his career in sales and had then become an entrepreneur. And one of my professors thought he'd be a great person for me to shadow. And I had a kind of a sales internship, but it was more of a just shadow this entrepreneur who had retired kind of internship. And from there, when that was coming up to an end, I just started applying for jobs in Atlanta. And there was an early stage e-commerce startup that was kind of in the daily deal space, uh, kind of competing with Groupon, but more regional. And I applied for a job there. I was the second hire. And that was my first like real sales job and real entry point into to startups. But because I was so early there, I worked with the CEO and the founder really closely. And you know, since I was bringing all the revenue, it gave me a lot of, a lot of um, room to work on different projects with him and learn a lot of things from him. So that was really the first experience of like, how does an early stage startup run? And it kind of coalesced with building product, doing sales, and then learning how to grow an early stage startup. So going back to the, um, <laughs> the Napster uh, undercut and, and all <laughs> of that, which is, feels pretty instinctual, are, are either of your parents business people, entrepreneurs, like, do you think you got it from there or is that just in your blood somehow? Like, where do you, where does that even come from? I think it came from my grandfather. He had, um, he had a regular job, but he also was like buying rental properties and things like that on the side. So as a little kid, I would go around with him um, to collect rent for his apartments or houses that he was renting out and things like that. So I'm I'm sure at like a very early age, my brain was just like witnessing this my grandfather collecting rent from people and be like oh there's probably another way to go about this um outside of that i i don't know i just was kind of wired that way um like yeah. you said it was pretty instinctual I, I don't know what what really was the driving force except i just wanted to create something there's always this like innate desire to just create like as a kid like legos and building blocks and, like things where i could create with my with my hands or my ideas there's always something interested me and i think for me, my outlet for that now is in entrepreneurship and startups. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so you ditch the lawyer path, you go down yeah. the, uh, that go down the sales route and that's a tough first sales job, you know, coming out of school and you're the first, <laughs> you're the, what the second employee, second hire, um, first sales person, or what did you say? Second hire or second sales person? Second hire. The first I'm, person was yeah. like basically an assistant. Yeah. So you're coming in you know, however old 22 ish mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, never sold before really other than, than some of these other, you know, kind of like entrepreneurial ideas, um, probably not given a lot of directions, just like go out and sell. Like what, what was that? What was that process? Like I met the owner for coffee. He gave me 30 minute overview of like the product and kind of the pitch. And then we walked over to the office, which was this little house in Buckhead, Atlanta that had been converted into an office. And, but there's no one really there, it's mostly me. He gave me an iPhone three, gave me an Excel file. He made one cold call, which 
he did not close. And then he's like, <laughs> okay, I got, I gotta, I gotta leave. Good luck. And that was pretty much it. And I just was like, all right, I gotta figure this out. So I just kept a little notepad next to my phone and didn't stop. I hit a, at least a hundred dials, manual dials, and probably like 30, 40, 50 emails maybe, but mostly cold calls at that time. And just kind of grind it out. When I got there, the company had $30,000 in total sales. And then in the next year and a half, it was a multi-million dollar um, revenue business, started hiring salespeople. Then as a result of me just being the first one, I was now managing other salespeople, even people that are like 10 years older than me, which is a really interesting experience. But um, yeah, it was it was hard. The They had hired one salesperson before me. He was like more, more senior in his career. They had flown him out and moved him from across the country. He lasted two weeks and they fired him wow. and then they hired, they hired me. So I came into that and I was like, these, this, the founder did not play around. He was, he was like, you, I mean, we fired salespeople their first day if they had call anxiety. Um, wow. And that was really weird to me being like 21, 22 years old and just being told go fire that guy. He's not going to make it. Like it was really cutthroat, but in the early, early stages, when you have limited resources, you know, you got to kind of show up or, or, or leave, I guess, in, in that, in that environment. So it was. I think challenging at the time it was super stressful. And at the time I, I can't say that I loved all of it, but looking back on it, it was one of those, mo like one of the most foundational moments of my life. And I think set the stage for everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Fly you all the way across the country, two weeks and he's done. It's funny. Cause I had, mm -hmm. um, when I talked with more, uh, Asseline, I'm sure you either know the yeah. name or, or I've met him. Um, he told me how he, he had such bad call anxiety that, you know, he quit, um, he quit sales for three years. And then when he got back in, he was so nervous that he'd be ripping shots while he was making cold calls enough where he'd be, he would throw up sometimes cause he'd get so oh, no. drunk because he was so nervous. And so, um, and now, you know, he, he runs a sales consulting shop and, and all these things. So, um, that's crazy to hear. That's just like, Hey, if you can't get it done on day one, you're done. Yeah, it was a really interesting experience. When I, when that company, when I left that company, um, I went and worked in tech sales and I had worked at a e-commerce marketing automation platform. It's like my first experience at, in data and using data to optimize communication or marketing. And I understood the pain points they were solving because I had experienced them being early stage at an e-commerce startup. So I was working at this company that was in the Georgia Tech Incubator in Atlanta, I was number, I think 13 on their sales team. And it was a whole different experience. Like they had an onboarding, you were trained for a couple of weeks. And yeah. in there, I was just so used to just hitting the phones that I remember being super impatient during the onboarding process where I just couldn't wait to just get on the phones and, and start selling. But it also was really nice to see like, what is a real company that has more funding and like more procedures how did they onboard their new SDRs? It's a lot different than just like, here's a cell phone, get to work. But yeah. um, that said, my experience doing that, and this is not meant to be like, a, I walked 15 miles in the snow kind of story. But when I hear people on LinkedIn talking about how their boss is making them send 20 emails or something, I'm just kind of like, get over it. I mean, this is sales. We, yeah. there's people that have, I, I was in sales prior to auto dialers, prior to outreach and sales loft. And it's a whole different ball game at that point in time. And I think, uh, because I experienced that it was harder, but it was, uh, a good learning moment for me. Yeah. I think you, you, uh, a lot of the people that I have on this podcast started, you know, their career either in, maybe it was like a boiler room type of environment. A lot of them mm -hmm. doing door to door, you know, selling home security, selling cut code. I, I, that's how I started was <laughs> yeah, the cut code knife yeah. game. Um, something like that, where it's like, you really got to build up like the calluses on your hands, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, with that tough work, because then, you know, it, it gets easier as you develop those skills. If you can go in and you can knock on someone's doors and sell them Verizon or home security, like you can sell SaaS to, uh, you know, a CRO yeah. it's, it's, it's a much different equation. So, um, I agree with you. I feel like there's, there's a lot of great things with, with, uh, tools and auto dialers and sales engagement, mm -hmm. things like that. But, um, part of me is like, maybe you should withhold it for your SDRs for the first month or two. Let's see, let's see what they do with like, you know, just a yeah. big Excel doc and see like what they can do with those phone numbers. And then, you know, you graduate to something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in that first job, I was also doing door to door. Like there are days where I was just told like, go down to a Piedmont road, which is part of Atlanta 
and just go to every nail salon on Piedmont Road and try to sell them. Because we were selling, we were like kind of like a Groupon, but for yeah. Atlanta and we were selling services. So like, or go to this road and just hit every restaurant on that road and just drop in and you're dropping in and people are like, the manager's in there doing their, doing someone's nails or they're like doing a facial or something like that. And you're trying to sell them your service. They just want you to leave. So yeah. I think like that, again, that was a, when it was happening, I hated that experience. But like you said, it builds those calluses and you just kind of get a thicker skin from having that experience that I think pays dividends years later. And then you look back on it and you're like, yeah, that sucked when it was happening, but I'm a better person because of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the tech company, that was Sharp Spring, right? That was Springbot. Yeah. Springbot. Uh, okay. Sorry. Springbot. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're so you yeah, yeah. So you were there, um, I think like two, two and a half years, something like that. Um, and then from that point, jumped off to start something on your own. Is that right? I'd love to hear like what the thought process was like there of like, all right, I've got this job. You're clearly good at sales, probably good at leading sales teams, you know, um, you know, feeling maybe comfortable there. Uh, and then like, shit, you know, I'm going to go start my own thing and go into the unknown. Yeah, it was kind of a progression. So when I was at Springbot, pretty early in, into that process, there was a women's college in Virginia uh, called Sweetbriar College. It's like 2015. And they announced they were closing, like they were, they needed more money. And it became a, at the time, pretty big national issue. It became a big legal battle in Virginia. Mark Cuban commented on it. It was in like national papers in a very small school, like a thousand women that go there every year. But that school was next to my college. And I knew a lot of people that had gone there. I'd spent a lot of time there in college. So I just had some, for some reason, I just wanted to help. And I launched a couple of campaigns to raise money for this college. And one of them was a shopping event where I partnered with a lot of the clients that were clients of the marketing product that I worked at. And we did a series of campaigns and fundraisers. And some of them got, you know, got press and things like that. And I just saw this inefficiency in alumni fundraising. So I had this idea of a mobile app that would help with alumni social networking and with alumni mobile fundraising, very small donations. Most schools are focused on like large whales, but not the five or $10 that they get from a 22 year old. Yeah. When actually, if you have a high percentage of alumni who give, you get better Princeton review rankings. So even like a dollar is actually beneficial to a school. But in order to donate a dollar, it's kind of complicated. So I just imagined I could do it on my phone. And at the time, this uh, social network, Yik Yak, which was getting really big, and they were in the building across from my apartment, the Atlanta Tech Village, where we also got started. And I was just like, these guys are roughly my age. They have the number one app in the app store right now, this massive social network. Like I could do something like that. And every day I would just take my 15, 20 minute drive to work. I was just thinking about um, this idea of doing a startup and had this experience with the, with the school, had a, net, a, a, a mailing list of alumni and things like that. And just started taking parts of my paycheck. And at this point in time, anything I had learned as a kid for, for coding and stuff, I'd forgotten. So I found a freelance developer on Reddit and every month I'd take part of my paycheck out and I was like having him develop an, an app for alumni fundraising. And then I was learning how to do like user interface design and things like that. I'd get up at like 4 a.m., work until like 7 a.m., go to work and then come home and then work on this. And it just kind of kept get, eating away at me. Um, I launched an early version of the app, got a little press for it. And then just during my lunch hour, I was making cold calls to schools, trying to get schools on my platform. And eventually I just saw my, my rank, like transparently, I was you know, always in the top performers on my team. And then over time, the more I was getting invested in building this app, my ranking was going down. And I knew I wasn't doing myself any service. I didn't want to be at my job. I wasn't working on my app. And I just left. I left in, at the end of July of, I guess it was 2016, and went full time in this app. And uh, honestly, that's the worst time to try to sell an app to schools because schools go on vacation in August. It's yeah. summer school's over and it's before the fall semester. So I can't get anyone on the phone. I didn't really plan to leave. There wasn't like a huge like nest egg or something that I had just reserved. So I was a little worried at first and I actually started applying for, um, for sales jobs. I thought maybe I can't do this. I applied for a job at sales loft and that becomes an important factor in this story later on when I met their head of product, Butler Reigns, who's now one of our investors, but mm. um, sales loft didn't have a recruiter at the time. So they didn't get back to me immediately. And they got back to me like two months later. And by that point, I figured it out. But basically what happened in this moment in August was my, my cousin was getting married. 
And I hadn't, I just quit my job. I didn't tell my family. So I didn't have much money to buy like a gift or anything. And just yeah. driving back to Virginia was kind of an investment. So um, Snapchat at the time had launched the ability to do custom filters on top of your images. But now they've got a filter builder, but at the time you had to be a graphic designer to do it. So I made a filter for her wedding and I geofenced the church and the reception hall. So her friends could all take pictures of this Snapchat filter and they loved it. And I thought if they love it, other people will love it. I've spun up a website. I'd come from daily deals. I submitted this website, <laughs> my fun filter to Groupon, Living Social. I became the only provider of Snapchat filters on Groupon, Living Social in North America, US and Canada for like seven months. And then other competitors kind of entered the market, but started undercutting my price. But that gave me the personal income to not have to get a job. And then I got my first school as a client for my app. And then I was just like fully in it at that point. Man. There's a lot to take in there. Um, yeah. like when you when you think about you know um, you know people that are are interested in in founding a company and being an entrepreneur, um, like just to think like let's just really sink in on like the days that you had then, right? Like you're a sales leader, um, and you know you're getting a bit four, you're working four to seven, you drive to your job, you're doing whatever you're doing at the job, you're cold calling at your lunch hour for your side hustle, then you get back and then you're doing more stuff for the side hustle, and it's you know. I think it, it on the surface can look really cool and, and fluffy. And it's like, you know, for, you know, if, if folks look at Lavender, it's like, oh, wow, Will and Will. And, you know, it's a cool product. And like, it looks like they're having so much fun on LinkedIn. And, you know, I, I, I just love hearing like exposing like, no, there's just, I mean, there's just days and weeks and months and years where it's just, you're just grinding it out. And then you're not sure if you're going to make enough, have enough money to pay rent. And so you come up with this kind of random Snapchat thing. And it's just, it's a mix of like the creativity and hustle that um, I think just, just gets downplayed sometimes of, of what, what's required to just get by, let alone be very, very successful. To be fair, it, it is really fun now. And there are still like stressful, hard times, but I was doing this for two years before I met Will. Yeah. And those two years were some of the hardest years of my life. Um, having to eat free ramen from my co-working space because I really couldn't afford groceries, almost missing rent so many times. Um, even with my, I had my first school that signed up for my alumni app. And I, when, when that happened, I was like, all right, this is the school I need. Um, I'm going to stop doing the Snapchat business because I was making Snapchat filters like eight hours a day. I had almost no time to work on my alumni app and ended up just selling it for a little bit of money on a site called Flippa, like you flip websites but the, the Snapchat business. And um, then I realized that the guy who signed up for my, my app was definitely the outlier in the, the education ecosystem. Most of them need tons of proof points from other schools. There's tons of process bureaucracy. This guy was just like, I'm buying your app. I want to be the first person to have it in New York. And I was like, great, I'm off to the races. But in reality, he ended up being the only customer for my alumni app. And then things got super hard because that money didn't last very long. And I was spending that money to fly up to New York to meet with investors. I found out, don't do that. Like, don't go just spend the money you have to go meet investors and stuff. Um, it was a waste of money because I was way too early for a lot of them. But uh, yeah, I mean, so after that ran out, like again, came really close to, to death. Um, and I had this idea in the back of my mind, and this kind of all like feeds into alums. So I'm trying to figure out how, or to, to Lavender, I'm trying to figure out how to scale this alumni networking business. There's like 7,000 schools in the country, and I'm a solo founder. Um, I am trying to do outreach to all these schools and prep schools and colleges. And I know that this, uh, some of the schools I'm talking to are like, yeah, it sounds interesting. Um, can we talk to some other, some other customers or see some case studies or testimonials? And I didn't have it or they needed integrations into certain systems. And again, I'm like hiring a guy in Russia, I met on Reddit, like we're not building these big integrations. And um, then I just thought like, how do I find more people like the school that actually paid me? And he had yeah. said, I'm buying it because I want to be the first one. And I'm paying you twice what you asked for because you should have asked for four times what you asked for. And they flew me to New York just to pitch them and put me in a five-star hotel. Like I was like, how do I find more of this person? Yeah. And I had thought back to something I had learned about when I was doing the fundraiser for the women's college. One of my donors taught me something about the Herman brain dominance instrument, which is like a framework for how people make decisions. It's like action, vision, people, and data. And you go into all four of these decisions, quadrants, you make a decision kind of based on who you are. You have different 
dominant quadrants. So some people are more data-driven, some people are more action-oriented, things like that. And I was like, okay, this person's really vision-oriented. And then these other schools are really data and people-oriented. They need more proof points, data, testimonials. I learned later on like what that relates to in the brain and personality traits and things like that. But at the time, I just knew this guy's a pioneer. These other people are not. How do I find more of him? Yeah. And I had an idea where I could segment my CRM by the personality traits of the, of the buyer, like Crystal knows, but at scale for yeah. 7,000 people at once. And I just called in my mind sorter because I was sorting my CRM by these traits. I had no real idea how to build that, but I knew it was likely possible. And kind of like a windy situation happened where I was trying to figure out how to make money. And I thought, okay, well, I've had some minor success in, in e-commerce, had this idea for a sorting product in the back of my mind. I had this alumni app. I started printing memes on magnets and I had an idea where I would just like build like five small e-commerce stores and try to like make a little bit of money on each of them. And one of them was memes on magnets. I was just printing memes on magnets. And in my co-working space in Atlanta, I wrote meme on a magnet.com on the whiteboard. This guy emailed me, his name's Jeff. And he's like, I don't think that's going to work. Magnets are too heavy to ship one off and print one off for an impulse purchase. However, I think you're thinking about this in a very viral way. We should meet. I started the rejection hotline. I processed over half a billion phone calls. This was a really popular viral phone number in the early 2000s. So I met with him. He was starting up an e-commerce play and wanted some advice. And we were meeting pretty regularly. And one weekend, he's like, I can't meet this weekend. I'm the speaker at Techstars Startup Weekend, which is a hackathon in Atlanta. And I was kind of like, what's that? And he told me it's just you get to pitch competition and then you build a team around an idea and then you try to win this competition. So I was like, huh, if people are going to pay to go to that event, there's likely other people there that are really interested in startups. It might, might be a co-founder, maybe a full-time engineer, but the kind of people that are going to go to that are going to be the kind of people I want to meet. So I was at the end of my road here. I had maybe a week left in runway and then I was have to get a job. And I uh, ended up a week. going to this event. Yeah, literally the next week I was going to get a job. The cost of this ticket was like $100. And that was a really big decision for me at that time. So I go to this event and I walk in and there's a TV that says, this could be the weekend that changes your life. And I was like, huh, I just got chills. And I think thought about it, pictured in my mind. Will Allred, my co-founder, sits in front of me. We play rock, paper, scissors, how to kick off the event. And I pitched this idea for the personality sorting product because you could not pitch an idea you've been actively working on. So I could not pitch an alum. I wasn't pitching memes on magnets or things like that. So I pitched this idea for using personality psychology to segment a CRM and use it for marketing purposes. You send the right email to the right person based on how they think. And Will had come from a marketing consulting firm. He understood the idea. He joined my team. We built a little team around it. Won the he quit his job the next day. And then <laughs> I, shut, I shut down the alumni thing because I wasn't giving any traction. And I'm like, angel investors started asking about this. Ended up taking two months to, to raise our first angel investment. I sold my car in the meantime just to keep things going. And then we raised our first angel investment and then just never looked back. Damn. Quit his job the next day. And where does the yeah. guy from Salesloft come back into this? Was he one of the first investors? No. Oh, no, actually not. So uh, yeah, I skipped over that part of the story. So Butler, he's now the head of product at ambition.com. At the time, he was their head of product at sales law from their seed to their series E when they were still based in the Atlanta tech village. So I mentioned how I had applied for a job there. I didn't hear back from them at, at first. I heard back from them maybe two months later. And by that point, I'd already like done the Snapchat business, had some income, and had figured enough, out enough to like survive, I guess. So when the recruiter reached out to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do the startup thing. Um, but I, I'll have coffee with you if you just want to meet and network. So we met for coffee with this recruiter. And then that was it. And then maybe a month and a half, two months later, my friend wanted to meet up for a glass of wine. She wanted to go to this place that was next to our building. And we met there. And randomly, the recruiter from Salesforce walks in. And I had just got back from New York and closed my first deal with that school. Yeah. And he walks in, he's like, hey, the entire sales loft product team's out on the patio, go meet them. And I walk out there, Butler's there. It turns out Butler's really into alumni relations. He's like on the board of his alumni council at his school. He like loves the idea. He ends up being my advisor for my alumni app, which didn't work out, of course. But then 
we stayed in touch over time. And then when we're working on a sales tech product, something he really understands and knows, he's become one of our largest investors and one of our best advisors. Crazy. It just really goes to mm -hmm. show like, you just never know like where, where the right people are going to come down the road mm -hmm. and, you know, to keep those relationships open. And um, yeah, it just like comes out of left field, like that random app. You, you probably weren't even thinking about, you know, you applied to sales off and then, you know, a couple of months later, once you have the revenue and, and you're, you're doing your own thing, it's not like you're probably thinking about them very frequently or like, no. I want to, you know, go back to be a sales rep. And uh, yeah. And then it just, it just kind of comes to you and uh, it makes a huge impact. We've had a couple of situations like that. Like in 2018, I went to the Forbes 30 under 30 conference and it was in Boston at the time. Any of your listeners under 30, uh, make the investment to go to Forbes under 30. It's a big party. Marshmallow was like playing and, but it's like Gary Vee was there. Like there's tons of like really well-known speakers. And also it's like a big party as well, but tons and tons of great networking. I met the CMO of Forbes and he actually recommended me to the list, but it was way too late at the time. I just met him like randomly, just started talking to him. But while I was there outside of the final after party for the event, I just met, ran into two founders. They were the founders of a company called Stored, which is now raised hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a logistics company in Atlanta. They're a bona fide uniform, uh, unicorn. And maybe two years after that happened, the CEO became one of our investors. So wow. like, you really don't know how these little connections you make, how they're going to come back later on. And everyone wants like immediate gratification. But one thing I've learned doing this now for over six years is that the kind of the the foundations and little things that you do early on, they start to build and they come back later on. And like Steve Jobs said, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only looking backwards. And I'm really starting yeah. to see that as we're building out Lavender. Yeah. yeah there's two things that, that really, um, that really stand out as, as part of the story. One is, you know, when you think about whatever you want to achieve in life and, and whether it's, you know, founding a company or being a great salesperson or something completely different in our heads, it, it can seem like, you know, you're here one day and then the next day you're Steve Jobs running Apple and just like this big moment decision. And it's like, all of a sudden you're there. And, um, and it's just not true. It's the little step-by-step -step, it's the Snapchat business. It's the meme on a magnet. It's this, it's that, you know, that, that adds up. And then the second piece is like, you know, I'm a basketball fan and, and there's like, you know, a saying where it's like, you want to hang around the rim, you know, good things happen when you're around the rim or if you're playing hockey or soccer, like you're hanging around the net. And you just like put yourself in the opportunity where good things can happen, right? You put yourself at that event where, yeah, maybe it's crazy that Will was sitting in front of you and you played rock, paper, scissors. But if you're not at that event, that doesn't happen. You know, uh, if, if you're not at the, at that Forbes conference, right. He doesn't, um, you know, recommend you and, and become an advisor and all these different things. Right. And so, um, again, it, I think it's a, it's hopefully a, a calling for folks that if, if they're feeling anything, if their their hairs on their arms are starting to stick up, listening to this, it's like this is the calling card to like actually go out and take action and and put yourself like you know around the rim, so to say. Absolutely, you have to have like this north star. For me, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know how I was going to get there. Um, I had read somewhere that most CEOs start in sales, so it seemed like a good place to start. And yeah. I went into sales, and I, I knew I, if I was in sales, I'm going to learn everything else, but the reality is that was like my North star and I would do whatever it took to get there. So if that means like selling my car, not being able to get groceries sometimes, almost missing rent so many times, like whatever it took, really, I would get there. And I've seen so many people, founders and even entire companies that have come before and after us have raised way more money than we have and no longer exist. And We've really, we've become, we've come hours literally from running out of money and not being able to pay our, pay our bills. And I see people that are shutting down their companies with two months of runway left. And for many, for a long part of our journey, two months of runway would have been an eternity. Um, now we're like really, we're stable. Like we've got revenue coming in we can pay our bills. Like everything's going well right now, but for the longest time, we were always at risk of death. But death was never an option. It was wouldn't accept that as a potential outcome. And you always have to figure out what to do. I remember one time we weren't going to be able to pay our CTO. So I built a website for some random water brand. And we made money that way to pay our, our engineer. So Will skipped, skipped payroll countless times in the early days and made that sacrifice. So, I mean, you have to really want it. It's a, 
everyone talks about the big funding rounds and all the success and you see the LinkedIn uh, clouds and things like that. But uh, behind the scenes, it's, especially in the early days, it's really, really hard. Yeah, it's really intense. And, and nowadays, um, you, know, you, you all were making news like you just made two, two new hires, two new sales hires. Mm-hmm. That was pretty fun to kind of watch uh, yeah. on LinkedIn, like all the cool you know, ways that people were reaching out to you and, and trying to build your case and just you talking about mm-hmm. that process. So, um, and nowadays it sounds like you're having, you're having a lot of, I'm sure it's, you're still grinding. It's a lot of work, obviously. Uh, but it sounds like you're having a, maybe a little bit more fun than, uh, you know, when you couldn't pay rent. Different types of fun, you know, yeah. um, in the, in the early days, especially with lavender and we were fortunate to have great angel investors and that supported us through, through COVID and whatnot. But, um, in the early days, like building the product out and really figuring out who do we sell to? We didn't know it was salespeople at first. They just happened to really adopt it. And luckily I'd come from sales. We started building sales features into, into Lavender. Originally we launched it just like thought it could help people find jobs when they lost their job due to COVID. And those days were fun in a different way, but we always had short runway. It, what's fun right now is that we have a larger team, more resources, more money in the bank, more followers, more product, more customers we've ever had before. And we're not scared of dying in the next few weeks, the next few months. Like we know we're going to survive. Even if everyone stopped like paying us, we still will survive. And that's comforting uh, to be able to be at a point where you can't, your, your goal is not just to survive. Your goal is to thrive. And that's a big mindset set shift that we've had, ever had before. It's always been like, like goal number one is, is to survive. How do we survive another month, another two months? And now it's like, how do we take what we've built and like get it to the next level? And it's a whole different game, but it's, it's, it's fun in different ways. But not being stressed about dying is definitely a, a good place to be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, Will, let me, uh, let me pivot you for a couple rapid fires and, uh, and let, the, let the audience know a little bit more about you uh, personally. Sure. So first up, we're big learners on the pod. I'm curious. Uh, I'm not sure if, if you're a reader or, or how much of a reader you are, but if so, I'm curious if there's any books that have changed your, your life, your career, impacted you severely. These are the five books that I think framed my entire approach to business and life in general. One of them is a book called Zag by Marty Neumeyer. It's a marketing book I read in high school. It, to sum it up, when others zig, you should zag. Along with that, I read Ogilvy on Advertising by David Ogilvy. It's a yeah. classic advertising book that got me into like typography, branding, marketing. In college, um, in economics, we read Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. It's the foundation of the Austrian School of Economics, but really it's focused on human decision-making, which I found yeah. really interesting and kind of plays a role now with what we're doing at Lavender. And then Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, which is a focus on like individualism, entrepreneurship, pursuing your like your desires economically. And then by far my favorite book and like I think cataclysmic shift in my mindset was reading The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. And, and, and that was just like about following your passions and like whatever happens, just keep following it and looking for opportunities to, to keep following your dreams. Reading that was really like, that shift in my brain where I could be an entrepreneur and not go into a nine to five. The alchemist is, uh, I mean, I've, I've probably read it three or four times at this point is so good. Mm-hmm. I rarely hear people, uh, say they read it and, and, uh, you know, not, not even not like it, but just, it, it wasn't really yeah. impactful for them. Um, but I was taking notes on some of the other ones because I, I haven't read or even heard of a few of them. So I'm excited to check those out. Some of them might be better off reading Wikipedia. <laughs> They're kind of long, but uh, uh, they were, I think, how I think through the world. Those five, when I think back, were the most foundational. Yeah. And then uh, my, 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 my book for like favorite book, for, like I think reading, I read The Wolf of Wall Street before it came out in a okay. movie theater, like like five years before it was actually a movie. That was a great read. I know you had Jordan on the, on the podcast, so I had to pull yeah. that one out as well. I don't even sequel, think I knew it was a book. Yeah, there are two books. There was The Wolf of Wall Street and then Catching the Wolf of Wall Street. And I had read them. And then, I don't know, maybe three or four, five years later, the movie came out. And um, the books are really great too. The movie skips over a lot, obviously, because it's a short period of time, but um, a great read as well. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. Um, so how about other ways that, that you like to learn? I'm not sure if you're a podcast listener, newsletter subscriber, you know, follow people on LinkedIn, YouTube, whatever, anything that you've been diving into recently? 
Yeah, all the above. Um, for I love podcasts. I love long form podcasts, like the three hour ones where mm, I, I may not I may not listen to it all at one time, but I'll like pause it, come back to it later. Um, so I like the Lex Friedman podcast for things like futurism, technology, just broad topics. Um, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a, a neuroscientist, yeah. a lot about like optimizing your brain or things like that. Obviously, Joe Rogan, and then two podcasts that are just more like guilty pleasures, more fun, but I still learn from. They're not as cerebral, but uh, the Full Send podcast has a lot of like, random guests that I would yeah. never have watched a podcast of, and then Impulsive, which has a lot of random guests as well. Yeah, I was um, I was just talking about the Huberman uh, stuff this morning uh, with someone at breakfast because I listened to a he was on a five hour mm -hmm. po podcast with Jocko Willink, if you know who's a uh, former yeah. Navy SEAL and. Um, he just, mm -hmm. it, all that stuff is just so interesting to me around, you know, how, how totally. to optimize your, your life and your body and your mind and things like that. Um, Absolutely. What, what goes on uh, in the will be headphones uh, music wise? Yeah. Um, I like a lot of like, it's, it's a variety. It can be like a jam band or classic rock or a rap or a lot of times like house or deep house or like melodic techno. But of course, right now, what I have on repeat is, our EDM song, It's Lavender Duh, which you can find on Spotify. So run up those streams, but that's what I have. You have, a, you have an EDM song? About lavender, yeah. So one time, <laughs> this guy, he's a rep at Seamless, I think, just made a post on LinkedIn. He's like, hey, I'm asking my network, what is your favorite cold email tool? And then one of our users, a guy named Sims Tillerson, responds, it's lavender duh. And then another person responds, I was second lavender. And I'm like, that is a meme. It's lavender duh. So we made an EDM song and the buildup is I'm asking my network, what is your favorite cold email tool? And then when it drops, it's like, it's lavender duh. And it just, it's a, it's a whole thing, but it's now our anthem. <laughs> is that on Spotify or where do I find that? It's on Spotify. It's on TikTok. It's on Instagram reels. It's on Apple music. It's ah, on YouTube. Damn. It's everywhere you can stream music. Okay. Okay. I like that. That's it's also I'm... also on our website. Okay. Okay. I love that. Um, Will, what's something you do outside of work to recharge? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I work a lot uh, because of the nature of, of our of our business, but uh, being early stage founder, but I, I recharge, I think, and I learn from these podcasts. I love watching them, just putting them on while I'm like chilling in my apartment or whatever. The podcasts are great. One thing I do I, I, that I'd kind of recommend to listeners, I do two things I think that help recharge or get ready for the next day. One is I track my sleep debt. I have an app called Rise where if I it tracks how many hours I'm behind on sleep. And whenever I'm at zero or close to zero, I definitely feel better. So I recommend that. And then right when I wake up in the morning, I go on a walk. I actually learned this from Andrew Huberman yeah, on a yeah, podcast, yeah. Um, getting, out, getting sunlight and getting seen, like scenic movement in front of your eyes triggers your optic flow and begins stimulating your neurons, gets you ready for the day. So I've applied that as well. And I think helps, it's helped me be more productive for sure. I could tell just by the by the language you're using that you got that from Huberman because I, I I did too. I've been doing that this yeah. week and I've been feeling good. Yeah, um, it's good. Is there a uh, is there a quote, mantra, life philosophy, anything that you know guides you or is something that you find particularly inspiring? Yeah, it's actually a Bible verse, and I don't know many Bible verses. I don't know how I know this one. It's Galatians six nine, and it was on my whiteboard in my room when I had the idea to help the women's college. Mm. And one of my friends told me, why are you helping the school? You need to find a business idea so you can quit your job. And that helping the school led to me finding a business idea, quitting my job and everything else. But I looked at this quote on my whiteboard, this Bible verse, Galatians 6, 9, let us not weary in doing good for at the right time, you'll reap the harvest if you do not give up. So a couple of things Ooh. to unpack there don't worry about doing the right thing. It'll come back and pay dividends to you if you do not give up. And I've, whenever I've been close to death, like not physical death, but like business death, I've thought back to that. And like, I will not ever reap the harvest if I give up. And it's always kept me going. It's always why Lavender is give first. We put out content that other people charge for. We just put it out there. We give our product away for free if you can't pay for it. Like we always just know give first and then you don't know when it's going to come back, but it'll come back sometime in the future. Yeah. There's a, uh, one of my favorite books is called The Greatest Salesman in the World. And uh, it, mm -hmm. it's alchemisty uh, for those that aren't, aren't uh, familiar with it. And um, it, it talks about these 10 scrolls. And one of them is failure will never overcome me, overcome me if my persistence to succeed is strong enough. And uh, that's that it, it seems yeah, to align quite well. 
Um, my last one for you, who's someone that you want to see on the millennial sales podcast next? I don't can't say Will Allred. I've had him on twice. <laughs> no, I don't think this guy does a lot of podcasts, but I love to see him on. So I'm calling him out. Austin DeAngelis. He used to be my boss at Springbot. I learned a lot from him before going down my entrepreneurial path, especially around compassionate management and mm. um, really enjoyed watching him. He had some really great stories. He went on to be the VP of sales at Ease, which is a, a cannabis delivery company. And now he's the CEO of one of their subsidiaries. I think his whole journey would be a really interesting story for this audience and kind of the quintessential millennial salesperson. Yeah, I love that. That's a great recommendation. Um, Will, before I let you go, man, anything that we didn't get to, and, and obviously uh, for folks that aren't uh, connected with you, I highly recommend they, they check you out on LinkedIn, check out Lavender, uh, but, but last words from you. Yeah, I think it's always important to call out with Lavender, which is a, a tool that helps you write better emails, double your reply rates, reduce your time writing by 50%. It's free if you are a student, if you're unemployed, or you are a bootstrapped founder. If you have an income and you're making deals, we're gonna help you make more of those. But if you can't afford it, we do offer it for free to those groups of people. And honestly, if you can't afford it anyway, just let us know, we'll try to work with you. So if any of your listeners fall into those categories, got laid off and all these tech layoffs, et cetera, reach out to us, let us help you, give you our product to find your next, your next job. And you can just find us at lavender.ai and we're really active on LinkedIn as well. Awesome, man. That's a, uh, that's a very generous offer um, and love that you guys do that. Thanks for coming on. This was great. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right. This episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast is brought to you by the Up and Up community. This is a community that I put together with my friend, Anthony Natoli, who's over at Lattice. Uh, it's focused on two things. It's helping salespeople crush their goals, hit quota, do all those great things, as well as it's really focused on mental health. Uh, trying to avoid burnout, trying to stay on the path, trying to be more fulfilled through this uh, profession. So it's a Patreon group. Uh, we've got a live community. We've got a live chat and Discord that's 24-7. And we have weekly calls where we're bringing in folks like Justin Welsh, uh, Kevin Dorsey, Devin Reed, et cetera, to come in. We do hour-long sessions every single week, live Q&A. You can ask them whatever you want. Um, and it's amazing. It's only 10 bucks a month. Um, would love for you to check it out and, and give it a go uh, and see if it's something that might be helpful for you. You can check it out either on my LinkedIn page or patreon.com slash the up and up. Hope to see you there.